Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Amen. Today we are going to um, participate together in the Lord's Supper. And before we do that, I uh, just want to give you some details about that. Maybe answer some questions you may or may not have. We at Hope, we have the Lord's Supper together three to four times per year. And we don't want to just throw it on at the end and say, here's our tradition or our ritual. We want to tell you what that looks like. So if you've been here for a while, um, at Hope for a while, you know we this is kind of how we do what we do. At the same time, it really helps us who have been here for a while to understand better and to be reminded about what God has done. If you're, if you're new to Hope, this will be hopefully great for you. Uh, maybe answer some questions you've had as well. So let's just dive right in today. You know, one of the values that we have here at Hope is called real relationships. And the thing that we say here about this value is it's all about relationships. And we truly believe that. We see in the scripture that one of the ways Jesus helped us to understand this concept was by giving us two practices to do together in the relationship uh, of community as a church. Believe it or not, these two things, we just celebrated one at the very beginning today uh, in baptism. And the second one is the Lord's Supper, what we're going to do to celebrate, to commemorate, to remember, to proclaim all that Jesus did and accomplished for his children through his death on the cross. And I want to read a text of scripture to kick us off uh, before we um, participate in the Lord's Supper uh, today to help us understand both when and why. We're going to answer the two questions today, when and why. We need to have the Lord's Supper together and while we do this practice, this important practice. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. For those of you who don't know, my name's Tom. I am one of the pastors here at Hope. And um, don't worry, the Vance will be back next week. So don't, don't, don't not show up, all right? Um, but anyway, uh, we're glad you're here. I, I love to teach, honestly. And uh, I know some of you are like, is there a back door I can go to at this moment? Uh, but I pray you'd open your heart and listen to the Lord in these next few minutes as uh, I just read you the Bible. I remember one of my seminary, seminary professors said, the best thing you'll ever do for your people is just read the Bible to them. And so I'm going to read the scripture to you today, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <clears throat> Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks, of, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. Now, as we start today, I told you we're going to really answer two questions. And usually, these two questions concerning this practice are uh, uh, quite, one is quite common and one is quite uncommon. One we get asked all the time, and the truth is, it's not that important. I'm not demeaning it. I don't mean for it to sound like uh, it's not important at all. But the truth is, it's really not that important. The second one is uh, hardly ever asked, and it's really important. Now, this is, this is kind of the uh, human way, right? We ask questions usually, eh, they may not matter that much. And we don't a- ask the questions that really do. So today, <clears throat> I'm going to try to answer both these questions. The first one is really, really short. And here's what the, the uh, question is. When do we do this? In fact, it's one of the number one questions I have here at Hope about the Lord's Supper. People say, when do we do it? Because I feel like we don't do it, or we don't do it enough, or maybe I missed the Sunday that we did it, because it seems like you guys only do it like once every five years or something. I'm not sure exactly how often you do that. The truth is, we do it three to four times per year, and many people debate over how often churches should take the Lord's Supper. Is it every week? Is it every month? Is it once a quarter? Is it annually? Like how often does that happen? Well, the only thing the Bible says about the frequency of the taking of the Lord's Supper together is this. He says it in verses 25 and 26. He says, as often as you like or as you drink it or as you eat. As often as, right? So the the verbs that are used here are actually in in a mood that means that has to do with choice. Like it could happen or it couldn't. It's subjective in nature. It could or it couldn't. It could or it couldn't. In other words, there's a choice. You see, the truth is all churches choose when to do it. We don't have to do it in a rhythm. We don't have to do it in a certain time. And I hope we take the Lord's Supper about three to four times per year. In fact, this year, this this is the second time that we have done it. And why this frequency? Well, the reason is because... You know, it's not scientific or anything. It's just that's what we chose to do. It's also not unspiritual. Jesus said, as often as you do it. Therefore, the frequency of when we take it is not very important. What is important, though, is point number two. And by the way, not just point number two, the last point. (laughs) Somebody actually said, yay. Yay. I'm not wearing my glasses, so I don't know who you might be. (laughs) Anyway, we want you to understand this today, all right? So the second question is this, why do we do this? This question is the most important question. Most churches, honestly, probably, more than likely, don't know why they do what they do in most things. And to be honest, most leaders don't know why they do what they do. And this doesn't exclude the Lord's Supper, Churches and leaders and pastors, sometimes they just do it because that's what you do. It's the ritual. It's the tradition. It's the thing. So let's do it. We're supposed to do it. Jesus said do it. But the truth is, it's a very important question. Why do we do this? Well, here's what I want to give you today. I want to give you four reasons why we observe this practice. And here's the first one. The Lord's Supper invites me to remember all the gospel has accomplished in the past. The Lord's Supper. And listen, we sang about it all morning. I loved the ballad. I guess that's what you call it. I'm not sure about the genres in music or whatever, but it sure sounded like a ballad to me 
This is my resurrection day. We just sang about it. This is why we celebrate it. The Lord's Supper invites me to remember all that the gospel has accomplished in the past. This, in, in verses 23 through 25, he uses this, do this in remembrance of me. The word remembrance is actually the word memorial, where we get our word memorial from. And that's fitting because this is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. The word indicates that there's this call back again into memory, a vivid experience from the past. And the illustration I'll give you is this. Why do we have memorial services for people when they die? Why are we celebrating what we're celebrating and, and honoring and commemorating what we're commemorating this weekend and tomorrow as a memorial? Well, the reason we do it is because it's an opportunity to remember the life of the one who passed and celebrate all that they lived for. And that's what we do when we do the Lord's Supper. In fact, Alan Redpath says this. He said, it is one, excuse me, it is the one who has given something for us at Calvary, asking each of us to remember his death, to put that at the very center of our Christian experience. It is he who lived, excuse me, loved us even unto death, calling us out from the busyness and often the barrenness and of all our pressure and work. That we might wait upon him in the stillness of our hearts and worship him. He points us back, not to his life or example, but to that which is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. The atonement of the cross, the finished work of Calvary, and the open tomb. Listen, we are called to remember what Jesus accomplished for us. And when we drink of the cup and when we eat the bread, it should remind us of his body and his blood. And those are the two elements. The two elements of the Lord's Supper are the bread and the cup. The bread is a symbol to remind us of the body that he took on. This is what we call the doctrine of incarnation, God becoming a man and living among us. Colossians 2.9 says this, it says, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's, listen, that's a huge sentence. And if you think on it long, your brain might go kaplooey. But the truth is, Jesus is, was, and always will be God. And he's the one who came in bodily form and died on the cross for us. So the bread, it's a picture of Jesus' broken body for us. And then when you take of the cup, it's a symbol of the blood that he shed. The doctrine here that we talk about is the substitutionary atonement. That Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He said, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This cup is a picture of the blood spilled for us as he died in our place. We just didn't pick the bread and the juice. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do to remember what happened and what took place. Some would teach that this practice is literally an opportunity to experience the Lord's death. In other words, this is my body, this is my blood, literally. And, and, and I want to give you three reasons, and not to demean what others believe, but I want to give you three reasons why I think we shouldn't believe this literal interpretation of literally the bread becoming the body of Jesus and the juice becoming his blood as we ingest that. And here are the reasons. Number one, the words of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me he didn't say experience me he could have said that if he wanted but he chose to say remember this secondly the presence of Jesus you see when Jesus spoke these words he was actually in the room with the disciples 
We look back at the past and say, we're supposed to remember. He was telling them to remember in the future. We look back and we think about remembering the past. They thought remembering in the future. You see, either he was breaking up his body, which sounds weird, or he was in two places at one time, which de-emphasizes what we just talked about, about the great doctrine of incarnation, of God becoming a man. You see, Jesus himself was in the room. He wasn't saying, I'm a, you're, all of this is about to turn into me. He was there. The third reason is the pattern of Jesus' teaching. You see, often Jesus would use symbolic. He would use figurative language to get a meaning across. He said stuff like this. He said, I am the door. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And nobody thought he was literally a loaf of bread. (laughs) On my phone, I have pictures. And some of the pictures on my phone are of my wife. And if I took that phone and I showed you a picture of my wife, it'd be really weird if all of a sudden I started, you know, kissing my phone. I mean, I'm sure there are people who do that, but I don't have to do that because I know who, I know where she is right now. I know her. Listen, if I looked and said, this is my wife, you would automatically know. You're saying, that's a picture of your wife, wouldn't you? You wouldn't say, oh, you're married to your phone, huh? I mean, granted, we're kind of in a day where you never know what, you know, people marrying inanimate objects and all. But you would know I actually got a wife. That's her when you see her. Jesus gave us this thing to remember. Listen, the Lord's Supper invites us to remember all that the gospel has accomplished in the past. But secondly, the Lord's Supper allows me to proclaim the power of the gospel in the present. The power of the gospel in the present. He uses the word proclaim here. It's a word that means to declare openly, to publicly or aloud or to announce. It's kind of what just happened in the baptistry a few moments ago. Those people gave their lives to Christ in the past. But the truth is today they are showing you what's already happened in their life. They didn't become Christians today. They're just telling us they did. And that's what we do with the Lord's Supper as well. This word that proclaim is used over and over again in the book of Acts to describe the disciples proclaiming the gospel. It is opening your mouth. It is opening your actions and saying, I am a follower of Jesus and I believe in what he has done on the cross. You see, we are living in some dangerous times in the church in America. We have become so consumed, I think, with self-help philosophy, with prosperity, felt needs preaching and moving away from a gospel centrality. It's getting scary. And God has said, listen, I want you to do do this to remember that there's something I want you to know that Hebrews 9.22 actually talks about. Without the shedding of blood, lest we forget there is no forgiveness of sin. Could we just not talk about blood? Well, if we don't, his blood procured our salvation. So we remember that and we proclaim it. As we take the Lord's Supper together. You see, the only hope for Las Vegas, the only hope for the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can say all kinds of things in here, but you don't need to know all the things I need to tell you to to, to make your life better. We just need to know God. The creative power of the redemption of God, Chambers says, works in the souls of men only through the preaching of the gospel. You see, the Lord's Supper is an anchor. It's an anchor to keep us from drifting from the life-changing message of what we really need to know and live, and that's the gospel. So the Lord's Supper also allows me to proclaim the gospel. 
the power of the gospel in the present. Thirdly, the Lord's Supper inspires me to celebrate all that the gospel will accomplish in the future. In verse 26, Paul writes, until these, just these three little words in this prepositional phrase, he says, until he comes. And he's talking about the coming of Jesus to gather his children. You see, this is not simply a memorial to his death. It is a celebration that Jesus, in fact, today is alive. And he's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. I wish we believed that more. We're almost, we're almost afraid to say he's coming again because I hadn't bought the house I want or taken the vacation. You know what I'm saying? I hadn't been able to have kids or whatever that thing is on your list. But the truth is, is he's coming again and right now wouldn't be too soon. For those of us who know him, it'd be way too soon for those of you who don't. So today, we proclaim this gospel to celebrate. Listen, we won't even always be able to do this practice together. One day, this memorial supper will turn into the marriage supper. We won't be able to do this. And we won't want to do this because we will be face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. Amen. Amen. I was just on a, a, a mission trip with some others from our church, and I would get my phone out, and I would look at pictures of my family um, that were all the way across the world. Um, but when I got home, I didn't look at the pictures anymore. I just looked at them. So the Lord's Supper inspires me to celebrate as well, to celebrate all that the gospel will accomplish in the future. We're going to remember what happened in the past, we're going to proclaim what he's doing today, but we're also going to celebrate the coming of his kingdom. And last, the Lord's Supper encourages me to examine the impact of the gospel in my life today. The Lord's Supper encourages me to examine. And this is the part where we get personal, where it should be personal to you. You see, the word examine here is an imperative, and that means that it's a command. Like Paul is saying, examine yourself. Put yourself on trial. Test by questioning yourself. You see, this is why I hope we dedicate this whole service to it. It's actually um, easy for us to preach, but it's hard for us to get to do it because there's so much in the Bible we want to teach you. But we also don't want you to, to forget why we do what we do. And so we, we teach you what the Lord's Supper is. But I, I believe that there are uh, a couple of ways that we should examine ourselves uh, before we take the Lord's Supper today. And here's the first way. I, I should examine my fellowship with God. Maybe you're here today and you're actually not a follower of God. Listen, I, I, I want to say this and I want to put it simply and a little bit boldly. And I, Sometimes the gospel can be a little offensive. But here's what I want you to know. All people who are born are not Christians. In fact... There's never been a person born who was a Christian. Jesus was the only, actually Adam was perfect until he sinned, and Eve as well, but the truth is, Jesus was the only person who never sinned. The rest of us fall in the category of sinner. Therefore, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do I know God? Listen, if you say, I've always known God, there's a great possibility you've never known him. It's not intuitive to us. In fact, our flesh battles against it. 
When was the time that you surrendered your life to Christ? And if you can't come up with a time, today is the day of salvation. So examine yourself. Do I know God? You see, some people participate in the Lord's Supper believing that somehow it imparts grace or brings or ensures even salvation. And I can say this. You don't need a ceremony. We've heard Pastor Vance even say this. You don't need a ceremony. You need a Savior. Listen, there's no ceremony we do. There's no tradition. There's no thing that we do here at Hope that can save you outside of the blood of Jesus and you surrendering your life to that. Do you need him? Do I know God? Ask that question. The second question is this. Is there anything in my life that is hindering my fellowship with God? Before you take the supper, be honest. Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there any open rebellion? Is there any impure relationship that's hindering you from taking the supper? And then not only should you examine your fellowship with God, you should also examine your fellowship with each other. 1 Corinthians 11, I didn't read it, verses 17 and 18. Actually, right before what I just read says this. Listen to this. Paul is, 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 he's actually exhorting the church at Corinth in some things that he wanted them to know about how they should do certain things. And, and one of the things he says, he, he talks in verse 17 and 18, he says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, you come together as a church. I hear, listen to this, that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, I know it's hard to believe, but Christians sometimes don't get along. Don't look at me spiritual. In fact, it's almost harder for us to get along than it is for us to get along with the world at times. Paul knew this to be true in the church. He said, I've heard it's happening. Now, I don't know specifically today, and I probably may not know you at all, and you may not know me. But the truth is, I know this, that we have trouble with relationships with people. And what Paul talks about here is that this isn't good. He talks about divisions. This word divisions is a word that literally means to tear something. It's a schism. It's to tear it. It's a broken relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. And so here's the question. Is there anything between you or another brother and sister in Christ? Is there anything between me and a brother and sister in Christ? Clyde Cranford said this. He said, in Christ, the thing that we least deserve, listen to this, is the thing which we have been most freely given, forgiveness. How then do we dare not forgive those who've wronged us? The person who has sinned against us is no worse a sinner than we. Therefore, we must forgive. This is not to deny or to minimize the hurt caused by another sin, nor is it to excuse that sin. The sin was wrong. Being wronged causes bewilderment and sorrow, especially when the one hurt us is someone we love. Our natural instinct is to question their love for us, but the ultimate question for the Christian is this, do I truly love them with a self-forgetful kind of love? Our love must be magnanimous, big-hearted, lion-hearted. Like the love of Jesus Christ, we must rise deliberately above resentment, bitterness, and pettiness. This is the kind of love that led Jesus to the cross. If we love with this kind of love, remembering all that we've been forgiven, we will forgive others. Here's the question. Is there somebody you need to forgive? And if there is, I implore you to do it. Some of you openly before you take the Lord's Supper.
So how big is it a deal for us to examine our hearts before taking the Lord's Supper? Well, verse 27 says this. This is it's pretty bold right here. It says, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup in an, unworthy manner, in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, this does not say here, whoever eats and drink, drinks who is unworthy, because here's what I can tell you. We're all unworthy. That's where everybody should say amen. If you don't know what you are, okay? It's not talking about that. See, if you're a Jesus follower and you don't participate with us today because you think you're unworthy, then you've missed what this means. This doesn't mean that when you become worthy, you can take the Lord's Supper. It's the way that you do it. Unworthy describes the manner in which you take the Lord's Supper. It has to do with how you take it, proclaiming all is well in relationships when the truth is everything isn't well. It's all well between God and between me and, my, and, and, and my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. But the truth is, it isn't. John MacArthur says this. He says, to come unworthily to communion does not simply dishonor the ceremony. It dishonors the one in, whom honor, in, in whose honor it is being celebrated. It's not just a ceremony. It's Jesus Christ himself. So the Lord's Supper today last encourages us to examine the impact of the gospel in our lives. We're going to remember. We're going to celebrate. We're going to examine. We're going to do all these things because Jesus said, this is how I want you to proclaim the gospel. You say, we're doing it inside the building. Listen, proclaiming it to each other is almost as important as proclaiming it outside this building. So we're going to do the Lord's Supper together today. If those of you who are hosts would would go to your tables, move into place, and pastors, you as well. I'm not finished yet, but I almost am. I want to say to us, I want to kind of implore us and give us some direction on what we're about to do. If you've been here for a while, you know. If you don't, I'm going to give us some quick, good instructions. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. There's going to be four things taking place. Sometimes we call it, Worship chaos. We don't mean it in a bad way. So if it feels a little awkward, it's okay. But here's what we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to examine ourselves. We're going to have an examination period. Listen, I want to encourage you. Examine your heart to see if there's anything you need to say to God before him, in front of him. Unconfessed sin, spiritual burden, perpetual, habitual sin, broken relationship. Are you rebellious toward God? Do you lack trust in him? So examine yourself. Say, Lord, show me me. Secondly, there's going to be intercession. Pastors are going to be here as usual down here at the front. If you have a burden so heavy you believe you want them to pray for you, please come do that. If you'd like to come to the altar to pray and just pour out your heart to God, whether it's job, health, family, whatever that is, somebody lost in your life that you want to see saved, intercede. Thirdly, we're going to worship. We're going to worship through taking the elements together at the Lord's table. We're going to remember what he accomplished for us on that cross. This is going to sound like a little uh, moment that you hear on the airplane before you begin to take off. But some of the tables may be behind you (laughs) that are closest to you. Okay? We have tables spread all around the building. Find the one that is closest to you. And let's worship him through the elements, taking the elements of the Lord's table as we worship him. And then last, we're going to praise him. When you finish, 
examining yourself, when you finish interceding or being interceded for, when you finish worshiping him through taking the elements, we want you to just go back to your seat. And as our worship team leads us, let's sing to him. Gratefulness in our hearts toward all that he's accomplished for us. So here are the four things again. Examine yourself. Ask and confess. Intercede. Come to the altar and pray or come and be prayed for. Worship. Go take the Lord's Supper, remembering his death for us. And then last, praise him. Go back to your seat and let's sing out together and thank him for who he is.